Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, good morning to all of you. Good to see you here today to worship the Lord and to listen for His voice as we open His Word. Um, One of the saddest things I think that I've seen over the years of ministry is when someone, we say, loses their faith. You see someone who has walked with the Lord, near as we can tell, right? And, and, uh, And something happens in their life. Sometimes it's something we all know, something big, hard things. Other times there isn't anything that we see, but something has happened. And as a result, they've lost their faith. They've walked away. And um, sometimes people, they, they may not have even walked away. We might still see them week in and week out. But there's this, I don't know how to, a resignation, right? I mean, there's the, they're here, but they're not engaged. Uh, not engaged with God. And so there's this, been this crisis of faith that they have not successfully navigated. And it's, it's really sad to see. Uh, when we think and consider that, that uh, and we saw the first week of this series uh, this summer, that without faith, it is what? Do you remember? Impossible to please God. And so these people who lose their faith, not only are they, they dealing with in their own life the uh, whatever is brought to them that point, and then with a loss of faith, a loss of hope, at the same time that they're putting themselves in a place where their lives aren't pleasing to God. And that doesn't mean God's up there and angry with them, I'm going to get them, but they're, they're missing what they were made for, really. And it, that may have happened to some of you here. You may have been there in your life. You might be there now, or you might be almost there now. And so what we need is what I'm, I'm calling persevering faith. Faith that perseveres. Go ahead and go to that if you would, Mitchell. The persevering faith. Faith that perseveres. Uh, and what do we mean by persevering faith? Well, persevering faith is this. It's, it's the kind of faith that continues to motivate and guide a person in spite of difficulties, crisis, oppositions, failures, and whatever else might be on that list. Faith that somehow or other manages to continue through those things and comes out on the other side of those things. Well, if, if we're going to have this kind of faith, in fact, let's, let's just see if we can't think just a little bit again about what do we mean by this, this idea of faith and living by faith so we can get a sense maybe of what's happening. If you remember, we say there are two parts, two, two elements that come together to have what the Bible calls a living faith, a faith that's alive and vital and, and governs and changes our lives. And those two things are knowing something, knowing you know, something about God, knowing something about what he says, God says about your life, knowing what he says about how things, whatever, knowing things, and then choosing to trust those things. And actually, I would say to you that when we, I'm talking about knowing here, but really we, we often will say, well, I believe these things. I believe this about God. I believe this about how what I'm supposed to do. I believe it, 
But when we don't, then make the decision to do what? To step out on that and act on that and trust it. We do not have the living faith that like James talks about. And so this idea of faith, whose both way you want to say, I believe these things or I know these things, it has to be combined with this step of actually trusting, stepping out on it. That's the kind of faith that we need to have. That's the kind of faith that pleases God. That's the kind of faith that enables us to live our lives the way God intends in accomplishing his purposes. So what has happened to someone who has lost their faith? Well, I, I, I'm, there's something here that when we get to this, I know this about God, some circumstances of life, maybe, uh, bad things that have happened, things that were unexpected, challenge this. Okay, so one of the things I might know is that God is good. Now, God is good doesn't necessarily mean he does everything I like. I think lots of things are good for me, and, but God doesn't necessarily agree. Who's right? Yeah, I know you say that about me. How about in your own life? Who's right? God is right. But, but the point is, we get this place and we say, well, wait a minute. I don't have this confidence anymore that God really is good because he allowed this to happen, you know, or this didn't happen. Or, or what, you know, I did all this and all those kinds of things. And so we find ourselves not sure. And so therefore, we don't take this faith step, okay? And, and I think that's pretty much where that that works. It could be that things have happened in our life where we are angry with God. And it isn't that we don't know, but we're angry with God for some reason, really because we aren't seeing something right. But nonetheless, we find ourselves feeling angry, and so we're not going to take that step. And so what we have to do is figure out how do we live our lives, and how do we think about things, and how we approach things so that we don't get to that place where are we not going to take this trust step? We're not going to have that faith. And so let's do this. Let's, let's go to the Word and see. Uh, let's look at the story of Joseph. Talk about someone who has persevered in their faith. All right, this is Joseph. So let's, let's take a look at his life and see what we can learn that might help us to be able to persevere. And, you know, you may have uh, be living your life and not yet experienced that thing that challenged your faith that big. Um, my guess is that you will. You know, the longer you live, the more likely you are to face something that's going to challenge what you believe and how you live. Uh, and if not, it could be that Jesus talked about the love of many growing cold. That can happen too. So. Let's look at Joseph's story here. And true story, by the way, we're going to be in Genesis 37 to start with. I uh, really encourage you to follow along with us. If you don't have your own Bible or in your, your, the Bible on your phone, um, pick up one of the Bibles that are under the chair in front of you. We're going to start on page 42. It'll really help you as we go through this stuff. Now, uh, Joseph is... Um, the son of Jacob's favorite wife. I have a favorite wife, too. <laughs> Glenda is my favorite wife. Uh, but what we see in Joseph's day is that uh, because of his uncle Laban's deceitfulness to him, 
Jacob has loved Rachel and wants to marry, but because he, 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 Laban has deceived him, he ends up with two wives. Okay, Leah and Rachel. And then because of this competitiveness between these two wives, uh, uh, Joseph, I mean, Jacob ends up with two more wives. Um, now, not to be confusing here, understand that from the beginning, God's best, God's will has always been one man and one woman committed for life. That's, that's God's way for marriage. Uh, but the reality here is that God is not going to give the law to Moses with all the detailed regulations for several hundred more years here. And so Jacob and his, they're just living according to the customs of their land, all right? Uh, so, yeah, well, I'll just stop there. But anyway, the point is, is that uh, Joseph is the son, the first son from his favorite wife, Rachel, the one he originally wanted to marry. And that kind of sets up some things here. You remember uh, the tension between uh, Jacob and Esau, and Isaac had a favorite, and you know, and uh, it caused dysfunction, didn't it? But we're going to see as well that there is a significant amount of dysfunction in this family because really they hadn't followed God's, God's ways, and uh, that causes these problems. It's at the root of these problems. So let's start in chapter 37. It says, Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob, and, and really I think that refers more to all that he's just given, but now the, the history of Jacob and his story is going to turn to his son's story, Joseph. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah. Now these were, these were um, Jacob's wives because they were the handmaidens of his real wives. You see how it gets messed up when you don't do things God's way? Anyway, there's a tension here because they have these different mothers and they're all in the same family. And so the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Um, Joseph is the younger brother here to all of these guys. Younger brothers are wonderful things, right? Uh, they can be such blessings and they can drive you crazy. Well, so these guys weren't very happy about this. I mean, right? Does that make sense? You know, maybe they were messing around. Maybe they weren't watching the flock the way they were supposed to, maybe whatever. And Joseph comes home and says, Dad, let me tell you what they're doing. Okay, so they were not happy. He brought a bad report of them to his father. Now, Israel... Remember God in our last, last week we saw that God had renamed Jacob Israel. Sometimes he's called Jacob in the text now, sometimes he's called Israel. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Also he made him a tunic or a coat of many colors. Um, do you see a recipe for problems here? Right. So Joseph is his favorite and everybody knows it. Verse 4. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. There's tension in this family. Now, Joseph had a dream. By the way, is it Joseph's fault that his father loves him more? No, it isn't his fault. Okay, He hasn't done anything wrong here. Now, Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more 
So he said to them, please hear this dream which I have dreamed. And so it's gonna, we're going to figure out real quick why they hated him even more. He says, there we were, binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. So the idea is, you know, they're wrapping up whatever these, you know, they're harvesting sheaves. And, and Joseph says, mine stands up and all of yours bow down. So what's he saying? You guys are going to bow down to me. Okay. Verse eight. And his brothers said to him, shall you indeed reign over us or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Okay. They hated him because of dad loved him more. They hated him because he told on them. And now they hate him even more because he's saying, you guys are going to bow down to me. Verse nine. Then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers and said, look, I have dreamed another dream. And this time the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? So they're getting this idea, this picture, because Joseph has 11 brothers, and he had then the sun and the moon representing mom and dad, and they're all bowing down to him. Okay? Verse 11, and his brothers envied him. But his father kept the matter in mind. So even though he's saying, what are you saying, Joseph? He did. He thought about it, pondering this. Then his brothers went to, to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. So he said to them, him, here am I, here I am. Then he said to him, please go and see if it's well with your brothers and well with the flocks and bring back word to me. So he sent him out of the valley of Hebron, and he went to Shechem. By the way, it's about 48 miles that he, he covered on foot here. Three days, hard two days. Okay? Verse 15. Now a certain man found him, and there he was, wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, what are you seeking? So he said, I am seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they are feeding their flocks. And the man said, they have departed from here, for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. So another 14 miles he has to go, probably another day. Verse 18. Now when they saw him afar off, they were really happy to see that their brother was coming to visit. What happened previously when brother came to visit them with the flocks? He went back and did what? Told dad everything. Okay. And lots of else has happened since then. Verse 18. Now, when they saw him afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. Then they said to one another, look, this dreamer is coming. And I think very literally that means the master of dreams. He's coming. Come, therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit. And we shall say, some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben heard it, and he delivered them out of their hands and said, let us not kill him. Reuben is the firstborn child, so he's the oldest. At least he has a little wisdom, right? Let's don't do this. 
Verse 22, and Reuben said to them, shed no blood, but cast him into this pit, which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him. And as he said this, that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father. So his idea was throw him in his pit and leave him. And Reuben thinks, I'll come back later and get him. I'll take him back home. Verse 23, so it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him. Then they took him and cast him into a pit and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And over in chapter 42, when, when they are having to deal with their guilt about this, they said, don't you remember how he pleaded with us and pleaded with us? So just please don't do this, right? Please don't leave me here. Well, he pleaded with them. And they're hard here. Verse 25, and they sat down to eat a meal. <laughs> These guys are callous toward him, aren't they? Then they lifted up their eyes and looked, and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels, bearing spices, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry them down to Egypt. So traders are coming by. So Judah said to his brothers, what profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother in our flesh. And his brothers listened. Then Midianite traders passed by, so the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. That's probably, with Reuben not being there and Benjamin... That's just a little over two shekels a person. They sold their own brother into slavery. Move, jump down to verse 36. Now the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and captain of the guard. All right. You think Joseph might be saying, where is God? Why has God allowed this in my life? Has Joseph done anything wrong? You know, he may or may not have been very wise in how he talked about his dreams. I don't know. But he hadn't done anything wrong. And here he is. He has now been betrayed by his brothers and sold into slavery. And he finds himself as a slave in Egypt. Talk about a change in your life circumstances. And so it would make all the sense in the world for him to be saying, where is God in all this? Why has God allowed this? Maybe what is, has God done this. And so when we see this, this is exactly the kind of recipe we're talking about that brings this place to people to place. They say, well, wait a minute. What I thought about God, does, maybe it's not really true, right? I'm doing what's right, and yet these things have happened. And, and so it puts people in a place where you know, they don't trust. And yet what we see in this story, and we're going to see, is that Joseph perseveres. His faith continues. So how in the world could that be? Well, let's, the Bible never tells us as we read through the stories. The Bible never comes out and tells us how Joseph maintained his faith, how he persevered in his faith. It doesn't ever specifically tell us. But as we go through his story, there are five hints that tell us about what was going on in Joseph's mind and heart and his response to God. So let's, let's take a look at the, the story and begin, see if we can identify these hints from the scripture about this. Go to chapter 39. 
a little farther in your Bible there to chapter 39. Start in verse 1. It says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. So he's now a slave in the household of this uh, one of the officers of Pharaoh's guard. Verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. So he's working for the Egyptian, and yet God is somehow with him and making him successful. Verse 3, and his master, Potiphar, the Egyptian, his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. Now here's the hint. Look there in verse 3, and it's actually in other verses here too, but when it says, and his master saw that the Lord, what is unique in your Bible about that word there? What? It's capitalized, that's right. And what the translators of Scripture have tried to do on a, fairly, on a consistent basis is whenever a particular word is used for God, because God is called by different names, but whenever he's called by the name, the Old English name, whenever he's called by the Old English name, Jehovah, the Hebrew version, of Yahweh, whenever he's called that, that is, means that's the special name by which he was known by his people. Okay? Well, how does Potiphar know that, I mean, I could see him saying, wow, it seems like the gods must be with him because he's successful. But Potiphar doesn't say he knew that the gods were with him. He says he knew that what? Jehovah, Yahweh, the Lord was with him. How could he know that? Joseph must have been what? Open about his faith. And when you're bitter against God, you aren't open about your faith, right? And so somehow he's not bitter. He's, he's being open with God. He's still trusting in Jehovah. He's still living by faith here. So we see that even though these hardships have come, he is still going forward with the Lord. All right, so that was hint number one. Continue, verse four. So Joseph found favor in his sight, in, in the Egyptian sight, and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had that he had put under his authority, all that he had he put under his authority. So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Now, this is just a this is a a chase rabbit thoughts here, okay? Because Joseph who is trusting God, even in this very difficult situation, is working here, God is blessing not only Joseph, but who? The one he's working for. Have you ever given any thought that if, if you're working someplace and your company's doing well, it might be because you're there? Hmm. That's a thought, huh? All right, let's get back. That was a, a small rabbit. Are you guys out there today, or am I not making sense? Or that was just like really poor. It was okay. Verse six. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph, and she said, "Lie with me, come have sex with me." 
But he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he's committed all that he has to my hand. There's no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. That's all he would have had to say. I'm done. But then he continues, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Hint number two. Even in this, these circumstances, Joseph is still saying, God's ways are the right ways. It's what God says about how I live that matters. Right? You see that? Okay. This is a thing about my relationship with God and how I'm living my life before God and what God desires from me. So we see Joseph thinking about life this way, even though these other things have happened to him. Verse 10. So it was, as she spoke to Joseph day by day, that he did not heed her to lie with her or be with her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was inside, that she caught him by his garment, saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. And so it was, when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside, that she called to the men of her house and spoke to them, saying, see, he, talking about her husband, has brought in... into us a Hebrew to mock us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. So she's accusing him now of attempting to force himself upon her. And it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. So she kept his garment with her until his master came home. Then she spoke to him, to her husband, Joseph's master spoke to him with words like these, saying, the Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came into me to mock me. So it happened as I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled outside. So it was when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, your servant did to me after this manner that his anger was aroused. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the prisoner, in the prison. And I would say to you that I think Potiphar's anger here was not just because he necessarily believed everything his wife said. Because I think if he believed everything his wife said, he would have just had Joseph killed. Done. He doesn't have him killed. He hasn't put in prison, and not just any prison, prison where the king's prisoners are. Probably a little better situation, okay? So anyway, but nonetheless, here is Joseph. What has Joseph done? What was right, right? What had Joseph done? Chosen to believe God and to do what God would have him do. And what has happened to him? We wouldn't call it a good thing, would we? He's been falsely accused, he's innocent, and he is thrown into prison for doing what's right. Let's stop there and just talk about something for a minute. How are we able to deal with these things that happen in our lives? I mean, I think the reality is, is that when we, we're living our lives and we do our own thing and we go against what God has said, and then we have trouble because of it, well, what did we expect, right? We don't like it, but we get it. 
This is because of me. This is because of what I have done. But when we have done what is right, very purposefully and consciously in our minds, tried our best to be faithful and to do what's right, and then bad things come into our lives, hurtful things, that is when we find ourselves saying, what's up with this, God? How do we deal with this? Well, in the New Testament, Peter talks about this idea of suffering. And he says this, he says, for it is better to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Well, so did Joseph understand this? Probably. I mean, if you're going to suffer, suffer for doing what's right. Don't, don't, there's no honor in suffering for doing what's wrong. But here's the understand what you see that, that Joseph must have had. And I left out part of the verse that you see on the screen there. So let's, let's put that in. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. If it is the will of God. And if God has allowed it to happen. In other words, if you have been doing what is right and God has allowed it to happen, is it his will? Yes, he has allowed it. Let me just, I want to make sure I know where I'm going here. Yes. Hmm. So, our tendency here is to feel like um, I've done what's right, therefore what's right ought to happen to me. Right? That's kind of natural way of thinking. And when it doesn't, how do we respond? How do we handle that? And here's what I want you to know. If you are doing what's right and you suffer for it, be assured that God is at work in your life. Okay? Be assured that God is at work in your life. Because here we are, we, we, we've done what's right, and now we're suffering for it, and we tend to think, God has abandoned me. Right? Is that our tendency? Where is God? That's the question. Where is God? So we've been abandoned. But I want you to know, if, if you are living the way, the best you know how, and yeah, we don't always get it perfect, and God is faithful to work in our lives when we don't. But so we're doing the best we can to know how to, to live the way God wants us to live. And then things do not go at all the way we expected, and it seems like bad things happen. Be assured that God is at work in your life. For it is better, right? If we're suffering for doing good, it is God's will. God's at work. God is accomplishing something. In us, through us. Our tendency is to think that God has abandoned us. And, and I want to say to you that when life goes nuts and it goes crazy and it's out of control in the wrong direction, in a bad direction, in a hurtful direction, in a dark direction, in a direction that is just overwhelming to you and you don't even know what to do with it, that's not a sign that God has abandoned you. Consider what it says in the book of Psalms. Psalm 50, he says, Our God shall come and shall not keep silent. A fire shall devour before him, and it shall be very tempestuous all around him. So sometimes when God goes to work, life goes crazy. 
Right? You see that? It's a saying that, that things can be great upheaval when God is at work. And so when, when we've been doing the best that we know how and living faithfully with God, and then it just gets crazy all around us, wait a minute. God has not abandoned me. This is a sign that God is at work in and around my life. That will help you to persevere. Help you to persevere. All right. So let's go back to our story. Let's see. So here we are in chapter 39, verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy, and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority. Because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made him made it prosper. This is kind of becoming a theme, isn't it, for Joseph? Another thing I want you to see is that Joseph is in the middle of all these hard things, but God is continuing to give him experience and to fine-tune certain skills and working his life that's going to serve him well in the future. All right, so what happens in this prison? The, the Pharaoh gets mad at his butler and his baker, and he sends him to prison for a while, and then they both have dreams. And, and so um, Joseph can tell they're all bothered by their dreams. Verse 8, he says, and they said to him, we each have had a dream, and there's, by the way, page, uh, chapter 40, verse 8, and they said to him, we each have had a dream, and there's no interpreter of it. So Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me, please. Hint number three, what is, how is Joseph looking at the world? Hey, this is not something that we can do. This is something we need God for. And then he says, tell them to me. So Joseph is still connecting himself in a relationship with God, isn't he? He hasn't assumed God has abandoned him. He hasn't arrived at that conclusion. We need to go to God for this. Tell me. And so he's with them, helping them to approach God. Now, about this time, don't you start to think that, well, Joseph is this super spiritual guy. I could never be like him. Right? I want you to show you what was going on in Joseph's mind and heart. Was he happy with where he was? Verse 14. He tells that he interprets the dream and he says, you're going to get back out. Pharaoh's going to, you know, bring you back. Verse 14. But remember me when it is well with you and please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For indeed, I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews. And also, I have done nothing here that they should put me into the dungeon. So is Joseph happy with where he's at? Is Joseph suffering? He is. He still is. But nonetheless, he's maintaining his, how he's seeing God and how he's seeing his life in relation to God. All right. So uh, this guy does get out. He goes back up to work for uh, Pharaoh. Two years pass, and Pharaoh has dreams, okay? And he's all upset about how do I, you know, I don't know what these dreams mean. He's troubled by them. And so uh, I can't remember which one it was, the butler. The butler says, oh, I forgot there's this guy in prison who can tell you what your dream means. All right, so verse 14 of chapter 41 then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him quickly out of the dungeon, and he shaved, changed his clothing, came to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. 
But I've heard it said of you that you can understand a dream to interpret it. So Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. And I think we find hint number four here. Um, Pharaoh says, I hear you can interpret dreams. What would have been the normal human way of responding to that? Yes, I can, <laughs> right? And what's Joseph say? I can't do it. <laughs> it's not in me. But God, he will give you an answer. So here Joseph is at a place where he could leverage this situation for himself. And what he says is, no, really, it's God that we must look to. That's huge, isn't it? So here he is, he's still seeing in the middle of all this situation that this isn't about him. Does he want out of jail? Has he? Yeah, he wants out badly. But this, his life, his abilities, these circumstances are about God and what God wants to accomplish, not about me and what I want. All right? So that's hint number four there. And hint number four, we could continue several examples of a good verse 25. Uh, and the Pharaoh tells him his dreams. Verse 25, then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. He keeps pointing to God. Verse 28, this is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Indeed, seven years of great plenty will come throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, seven years of famine will arise and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt and the famine will deplete the land. So the plenty will not be known in the land because of the famine following, for it will be very severe. And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because the thing is what? Established by God. And God will sure, shortly bring it to pass. He keeps pointing Pharaoh to God, to God and what God is doing. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the severe, or seven plentiful years and let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. Then that food shall be as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine which shall be in the land of Egypt that the land may not perish during the famine. So the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. And so what I want you to see is consistently that not only has Joseph been open about this, those who see him and observe him and listen have now also connected him with God. This is God. This is different. This guy's with this God. It's different. And so this is how he has continued to view his life. My life is about the Lord and what God is doing. And then God has taken care of the rest. So Joseph's got it made now, right? He's, he's the head over all of Egypt except for Pharaoh. He's got it made. 
Well, stop and think about it for a minute. Think about it. Maybe you're, you are a teenager here or you were a teenager. I mean, you're a teenager and someone kidnaps you. Okay, they kidnap you and they cart you away to a country where slavery still is allowed. And it is, I take you to India where they estimate there's 18 million people in some form of slavery still. So they take you to India and you are there and you're being forced to work for someone and you're, you have to learn the language and, and learn the culture and you're, you're hard labor working this. And, and then you make a choice to do right and you get thrown in jail. Now you're in jail in this place and, and you're working there and then finally you get an opportunity to get out. They bring you out for some reason and the end result is that now you um, are given this huge responsibility that you have to work to try to make sure everybody's getting fed in, in India. And so you're doing that. They uh, give you a, an Indian name now. You don't get your own name anymore. They give an Indian name and then they give you an Indian wife who is connected with the religion of India, you're thrilled, aren't you? No, you're not. I mean, you may be in a better position than you were, but this is not good. This is not what you looked for. This is not what you wanted. So look what happens to Joseph here. This is what happened to Joseph. Verse 45, And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnath Paneah, and he gave him as a wife, Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On. So Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. So he did this. Okay, and this is his situation. It's, it's, it's better than it was, but it's not what he would have wanted. And I think we see hint number five down in verse 51. He has two sons there. Let's go down to verse 51. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. And the reason, because the name of Manasseh, cause, Manasseh means cause to forget. And he says, for God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. He's, he's, he's put me in a situation where that all has to be behind me. Verse 52, in the name of the second, he called Ephraim. For God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. I, God has worked in my life here. I'm doing well. Hint number five is this. Joseph interprets his life in light of God and what he's doing. He isn't interpreting his life this way. He's interpreting his life this way. And if you're interpreting your life this way, you're going to get to this point with faith and say, I don't know, and not go. But when you're interpreting your life this way, you're going to say yes to God and believe. So get this about Joseph. Joseph believed the right things about God, and he believed the right things about his life, about life. He believed that God was good. He believed that God was all-knowing. He believed that God was capable of doing whatever needed to be done. He believed that God had plans and purposes that were bigger than Joseph. He believed those things. He, he believed about his own life, that his life was about glorifying God. His life was to be lived the way God said, that whatever circumstances of life he found himself in, that he still needed to figure out how do I respond to God and honor God in these circumstances. His life was not about my comfort, my pleasure, my plans. It wasn't about that. And because of this, because he believes the right things about God and believes the right things about his life, what happens with his faith? It perseveres. It perseveres. So there's really two big questions you and I need to answer. What do you believe about God? 
And what do you believe about the purpose of your life? Because you got to settle this in your life. And it starts, you see right there, we say surrender. We surrender to the Lord. My life is not about me, Lord. My life is about you, your plans, your purposes. And so that means whether things are going good the way I like them to go or whether things get terribly hard the way I don't want them to go, doesn't matter. I am surrendered to you and I am going to live. Here's what I know about you. I know all these things and I'm going to trust. Does that mean you like everything that's going on? Does that mean you wouldn't change it if, if God gave you the ability? No, it doesn't mean, you, of course you would. But it doesn't matter. We're saying, God, in this circumstances, no matter how dark it is, no matter how hard it is, no matter how long it goes, I am yours. I belong to you. My life is yours to use as you see fit. I want to honor and glorify you with my life. And by the way, little parenthesis thought here, in the long run, that will always be what's best for you. In the short run, it might not seem that way. But in the long run, and thinking not just this life, but eternity, living this way will always be best for you. When you finally conclude that my life is about glorifying God, believing the right things about him, and, and living those things out. Well, how do you know if you're led there? How do you know if you're living that way? Well, finish this sentence. I will serve Christ faithfully unless. Think about that. Unless it takes my health from me. I will follow Christ faithfully unless it puts my children's lives at risk. I will follow Christ faithfully unless there should be no unless. But we struggle with the unless, see? So this is how we know, am I in the right place? I got to get this where the unless and the things that pop up, I got to deal with. I got to keep addressing those before God and surrendering to him in it. Um, We need to Serve Christ without hesitation and with no reservations, nothing holding nothing back. That's what he calls us to. And if you will approach life that way, you have a biblical worldview. Okay? You got a biblical worldview. You're seeing God the way he really is. You're seeing your life the way it really is. And you're understanding how these things interact with each other. And because you're looking at the world this way, now you, here you come along in life and this stuff's happening. You gotta say, wait, what do I know about God? What do I, what do I think about? What do I believe? And, and am I going to trust it? Because you're believing the right things about God and you understand your life, you can do what? Okay, I am going to trust God. I'm gonna have this living faith in this situation and go forward with the Lord. It is crucial. So if you start with a biblical worldview, and by that we mean you believe the right things about God and you believe the right things about your... Go ahead and go to that slide, Mitchell. If you start with a biblical worldview, you, meaning you believe the right things about God, you believe the right things about your life, your faith will persevere. So how important does this make gaining a biblical worldview? Do you have a biblical worldview? Probably to some extent. 
Do you think you got a perfectly biblical worldview? No, none of us do. So we all need to keep growing. How are you going to get this biblical worldview? Well, it's crucial. First of all, you're doing one really, really good thing. You're being here and you're hearing the word of God and you're worshiping God and you, it's shaping how you view things. And then we talk about it. I mean, the preacher says it. How many times? You need to be what? You need to be in the word on your own, on a regular basis. Learning about God. What's he like? Learning about how does my life work in light of that? And, and let that shape how you view things. And, and then you need to take advantage of the, the opportunities that your church provides for you to grow in your understanding of these things. So, can I, for just a moment here, share with you a pastor's struggles in his thoughts sometimes? Is that okay? All right. So, we have, we offer courses, like during the year, we have Life Source U classes, and it's on a Wednesday night. And I get it that sometimes, you know, because of what's going on in our lives, we can't do everything. I get that. Same thing for me. We have Wednesday nights for the summer here, this, this hangout night, but we're talking about, you know, studying the Bible together, getting to know each other, getting this biblical worldview. I I sometimes struggle with why don't more people take advantage of these things? What are, and maybe every one of you, and those of you who are watching, who aren't here, maybe every one of you actually has this reason because God has you doing something else. Praise the Lord. I just don't think that's the case. And I'm not judging any one of you because I don't necessarily know the circumstances. That's not my point. I'm trying to say, if we need a biblical worldview so that our faith can persevere, why don't we take advantage of those things, right? Why is it we, we want to come? We want to take advantage. So let me just encourage you to think about that, challenge you about that in your life. Don't just live this lukewarm, lackadaisical approach to life. Say, no, I need a biblical worldview. And this, the, the things we're doing are not the only way to do it. I'm not saying that either. Okay? I'm just saying this is your church. I'm your pastor. And I'm saying here's a way you can get this. So take advantage of it, okay? All right. And don't say, oh no, now I gotta go on Wednesday night or pastor will see that I'm not there. And, I really don't, I don't live there. I don't function that way, okay? But I do want to challenge you. Take it seriously. Take it real seriously. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that your son persevered for us, uh, who, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. Father, I pray that you would stir our hearts and minds to, to see our lives in light of you and what you're doing and to see you the way you really are so that we can make decisions that will honor you and glorify you and that will, in the long run, be the very best decisions we could ever make for our own lives and not just for us, Father, but the people around us who will benefit from us walking with you. Help us to learn we don't live by sight but by faith. I pray we'll go forth from here today, Father, committed to saying, I need to continue growing and understanding the world the way it really is. 
the way your word says. I need to do what it takes for that to happen. Thank you for these people, Lord, and their love for you and their desire to to serve you and honor you in their lives. And I pray you'll continue to grow them as they go forth from here today. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. God bless you. Go have a great week walking with the Lord.